0: Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to us today, that you would uh, speak to us through your word, that you would challenge us and um, shape us through um, your word and through what your, your spirit is saying. God, just challenge us and shape us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, is everyone doing all right? All right. Okay. Good. 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 I'm doing good. Um, I want to talk to you about something really peculiar. Which, hey, can I just say, I like peculiar. Peculiar is fun. Weird is fun. The weirder you are, the more I'm going to like you. Um, Which I love all of you a lot. So that what does that say about our? I'm just I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. But 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 for real, I do. I like weird. But this is kind of a weird thing. So in March, 1887. A pastor named Ansel Bourne woke up in a town in Pennsylvania. He went and knocked at the door of his landlord. Um, And when his landlord answered, Bourne asked, where am I? Where am I? Who am I? So Ansel Bourne, okay, just to give you some context, because this is strange. He had been, he was a pastor. He had been, for two months... He had been living with a different identity. He'd been going. He'd been using a different name. He had been running a business in a different town, far from his home, two states away from his home in in Rhode Island. About two states, right? Rhode Island's about two states away from Pennsylvania. Anyways, I don't know geography, but he had been going by a different name, and uh, he had been running this business where he was selling candy and furniture. He had been renting an apartment. Right and, and the whole town had come to know him. They, he was just this guy. And all of a sudden, one morning, he woke up with no memory of the last two months. And he remembered his previous identity, Ansel Bourne, which but was before he had come to this town in Pennsylvania. Such a strange thing, right? And this is the first um, recorded phenomenon that we now call um, dissociative fugue. Have you, has anyone ever heard of this? dissociative fugue. It's a dissociative disorder, and it's very rare, and it, there's not much known about it, much like other dissociative disorders. Um, and again, I, you know, I, take, I took one uh, psychology uh, class in college, so of course I'm an expert, right? But no, not really. I know nothing about it, but this is fascinating stuff. So this disorder is extremely rare, and um, it's, it's oftentimes caused by trauma. But what happens is you completely and totally have um, amnesia in regards to your identity. And oftentimes, people like Born, for example, will completely take on a new identity and, and go live in this new, un, under this new identity in a different place and have no idea who they were. And then suddenly, their memories will come back and they'll, they won't remember this, you know, dissociated identity that they've been living under for the last however long it was. So strange. I read about this girl. Uh, her name was Hannah, um, Hannah Up. I don't know. Hannah Up. Um, yeah, her name was Hannah Up. And she went missing for three weeks in New York. I think back in 2008. She went missing for three weeks. And people kept seeing her roaming around. They, saw, they caught her on footage in an in a Apple store. They, caught her, um, at a, they saw, caught her on footage in a Starbucks. She looked completely normal. She was just walking. She was in the same clothes for three weeks, and no one could find her. And people kept asking her, are you this missing girl, Hannah Up? And she'd say no. Anyways, three weeks shit went by, and she turned up in the Hudson River. Is it the Hudson River? Yeah, in the Hudson, um, Swimming. And she had been out there for days, sunburned and really, like, sick and with hypothermia. She had no clue where she had been for three weeks. It was as if three minutes had passed, but three weeks had actually passed. Such a strange, strange um, disorder. Matter of fact, for years, people thought it was completely fake. Even in 2008, people accused her of of Making it up, lying about the whole thing, but there have been uh, documented cases like like this one and like the one um, with Ansel Bourne. And in fact, if anyone ever seen Born Identity, I can't, I can't not, I can't not. Born Identity is based on this, or well, at least the name came from this case of Ansel um, Bourne, who was a pastor, right? So he's trustworthy. Hopefully, pastors are trustworthy. But anyways, so in this article, someone named David uh, Spiegel. Uh, a professor of psych, uh, psychiatry at Stanford said he'd never heard of someone navigating the world without something that resembled an identity. Because what happened with Hannah Up is it was like they they said it was like she didn't have an identity. It was like she was on survival mode, but there was no one home. Right? She was just like basically roaming around with no purpose. Right? Anyways, she said I've never I've never seen this. Um, it may be sparse with far less structure or detail, but I don't know if if you can be a functioning human without something that passes for a self. He said, you need some kind of orientation for understanding who you are and what you're doing here. Essentially, he said, identity is, is important. You almost can't be human without identity. But can you imagine... Walking away from your home and, and just becoming another person, completely losing your identity, forgetting who you were? Can you imagine um, waking up one day and not knowing who you are or where you're at? Losing your identity? Can you imagine that? How crazy would that be? You see, these are really strange and extremely rare cases, but one thing is clear as you learn, as you read about it: identity is important. <laughs> Identity is important. It's important to know who you are. It's important to know what you're doing, where you are and where you're going. It's so crucial to know what your identity is. This is no less true for Christians, right? As Christians, we have to know what our identity is, who we are. As followers of Jesus, what is the identity of the church? As a group, who are we? What are we here for? What's our purpose? These are very, very hard questions. But so, so important. Because they have to do with our identity. And here's the deal. The Bible talks a lot about identity. A lot about identity. In 1 Peter, Peter actually addresses Christian identity in an extremely important way. So, in chapter 1... Of First Peter, we see, if you want to follow along, I'm just going to give you a bit of an overview to catch us up. In chapter one, we see that Peter is writing to the believers in Asia Minor, which is now what's today modern day Turkey. Um, they had been through trials and persecution. Um, Antioch is in Asia Minor, is w- in one of these places where he's writing to. And it was actually in Antioch that followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Did you know that? And they were called Christians as an insult, right? Because they were undergoing persecution. They started calling them Christians as it was pejorative. It was an insult. And so that just kind of, you know, um, illustrates kind of what we're talking about. It was a bit later, probably. But anyways, they're going through trials. They're going through persecution. They're not being accepted by society broadly. But Peter rejoices in their what he calls new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that's what Peter says. And then he encourages them that, in light of this salvation, in light of this new birth, being born again, they had received, or they, they were, they had received the Spirit, and he encourages them to be holy, as God is holy. Going back all the way to Leviticus, he says, "Be holy, as God." Is holy, so in light of their salvation, in light of this new birth, this new identity, this new creation in Christ, Peter says, Be holy as God is holy, and then he goes on to say, You know, this is the word that's preached to you, and he says that this word is everlasting and it doesn't fade. And this is where we find our passage. Today, Peter goes on from here to discuss this new identity further. And this is what he says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Christians desire spiritual nourishment and growth in salvation. This is a part of our identity. Christians desire spiritual nourishment and growth in salvation. Um it, so in light of this new identity, P- Peter, he encouraged the believers to cast off. It's, it, it, the language he uses is like taking off a coat, right? Casting off their previous vices, their previous issues. And if you notice, many of these vices are social, slander, envy, hypocrisy, deceit, right? He encourages them as this community of believers to cast off these issues, right? Right? Get rid of that. You used to be that way. You're not anymore. Cast it off and instead put on this desire for spiritual nourishment. Amen. Now, this isn't quite the same as just saying, okay, put on your, you know, your weekly Bible study or your, your morning Devo. What he's saying is you have to have a desire for spiritual nourishment, the things of God, what God has for you. You have to crave it. You have to need it, right? So this is connected to the passage before we just talked about to the the preached Word and the eternal Word of God. This nourishment is is centered on the Word of God. And it is crucial that every day we desire this nourishment, the Word of God. And it's more than just Being able to answer some trivia questions about the Bible. 66 books? No, no, no. no. That's that's not it, right? Like, It's more than that. It's about desiring what God has to say in His Word and how He wants to transform your life through His Word. It requires um, honesty with yourself. Being willing to read God's Word and, and be challenged and moved to be sharpened, to grow, right? Salvation for Peter isn't stagnant. It isn't static. It's moving, it's changing. It's more than just a crisis, a single crisis moment. It's not like crossing a line. Here, there's there's a crack on the stage right here. A lot of times we think of salvation in terms of, Okay, I'm in. I stepped over the line. That's it. I can go home now, right? No, that's not how the New Testament talks about salvation. Amen. Salvation is talked about in, in, in a transformative way. In a, it's, it's not like stepping over a line. It's more like stepping through a door into a new world, oh, yeah. into uh, new life. He says, new, he calls it new birth, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it reminds me of Narnia, right? Like going through the wardrobe. It's not just crossing a line, Crossing some coats. No, it's going into this new world with a new identity as kings and queens, right? Like in this, in this visceral way, you're going into, into newness and new creation, right? Salvation is something that we continue in. And I'm not saying every day you have to say the Lord's Prayer and, and, and you, you know, worry every time you, you know, say a bad word when you stub your toe. That, that's, not, that's not the point. Like, the point is not that your salvation is not secure. The point is that salvation is, is a life. It's new life, yes. right? Amen. It's new identity. And we have to desire nourishment so that we can grow in our salvation, so that we can grow in christ Amen. you know it's kind of like um have you ever watched bear Grylls? anyone watch bear grills or i don't know there's other survival shows but you know bear grills is always like i don't know it's kind of gross checking under logs and stuff looking for like grubs and he's like all right this is i i can't do the accent i was like australian Yeah, this is, you know, no, he's like looking under logs and he's like finding grubs and he's like, this is rich in protein, right? And you're like, don't do it. Don't do it. And then he's like, and he eats it. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, this insert, he's teaching survival situations if you haven't seen it. And he's trying to show you how to find sustenance, how to find food, how to find just something. He'll eat the smallest little thing that's high in protein, just something to keep him going. Or at least that's what he says in the show, right? It's kind of like that. Like we have to desire nutrients. We have to desire something to just keep us going, to keep us growing. Does that make sense? See, for many Christians, salvation is primarily, like I said, a crisis moment. It never goes beyond that one time moment. It never goes beyond that time at the altar at camp, right? And I'm not downplaying those things. I'm not downplaying the moments that we have, you know, that are, are emotional and meaningful to us. But, I mean, the truth is, just for, as an example that we used in the introduction with this dissociative disorder, you can have all kind of experiences, all kind of one-time moments that are completely explainable, or are at, are at least at times explainable through psychology. We have to have more than a one-time experience. Yes. We have to have more than a one-time, if, if it's about a one-time experience, then, like, all of the New Testament is, like, meaningless, right? Like, it's... It's it it's he's writing to Christians who had already had an experience. They'd already come to Christ, but he's saying, "Keep going, right? Yes, that yes. word is eternal. It's preached to you now. Now grow, crave yes. nourishment, yes. spiritual yes. nourishment, Hallelujah. and we got to get practical, right? We got to get practical. Spiritual nourishment in the Word, yes. desiring the Word, right?" Not just a box to check off, but really wanting to know what the Word of God says. Amen. Listening to it. You can listen to the Word, and it's great. The voice is awesome. If you get your phone out, you push play, and it's the Word of God. said. Like the, the reader has an awesome voice. Try it. It's really great. Um, but you can listen to the Word. You can get in. You can engage with the Word in different ways now. And that's fantastic. It doesn't have to be this one stagnant old way of doing things. We can, we can engage in God's Word. Peter goes on to discuss some more detail concerning Christian identity. This is what he says in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So Christians are a spiritual house built on a solid foundation that is Jesus. Christians are a spiritual house that's built on a solid foundation that is Jesus. And we're going to talk about, you know, what is, what is a spiritual house? That sounds weird, right? It sounds like, you know, it's a, a house made of ectoplasm or something. You know what I mean? And I don't know. But anyways, but we're going to talk about that. So Peter uses several Old Testament references to describe both Jesus and the church. Jesus is the precious stone that was rejected by The world. Rejected by the world. They did not listen to the message. They did not hear the gospel. But some did, right? And this is what he describes in this passage. Those who the stone is precious, they accept Christ. But those who the stone is a stumbling block, they reject Christ. Not only is he a precious stone or the precious stone that was rejected as in Psalm 118, but he also is the cornerstone in Isaiah 28. This is the foundation of the spiritual house, as Peter explains. And it's a means of judgment for those who reject him. So again, Peter explains that they were, the church, the Christians who he was writing to, they were connected to the living stone in that they were were like living stones, Being built into a spiritual house. So they're connected to Christ, this foundation, by being like spiritual stones. Being like Christ, they're connected to Christ, and they're brought into this spiritual house. Built into this spiritual house. Now what does that mean? It means the temple. This is imagery, this is language that is referring to the temple. We're going to discuss this a little more in a second. But... They're also offering spiritual sacrifices, which, again, this language um, directly connects to tabernacle and to, temp- and to the temple. Um, so what is the spiritual house and spiritual sacrifices? Well, in this case, we should be sure, especially as we think about application, spiritual doesn't only mean non-physical, right? It doesn't only mean non-physical because spiritual sacrifices take place In in our embodied lives, right? They they take place in a community of people who take care of each other, who love each other. Who serve one another, as Peter's going to go on to explain in chapter four. So it's not just non-physical. It's not just emotional. It's not just like, you know, something that we don't see above our heads. That's not what spiritual refers to. Not at all. It's, it's of God. It's of the spirit. And it's and it's a, um, distinctly a part of what God is doing in his people. But back to the spiritual house. It refers to the temple. And what you have to understand about the temple and temple practices like sacrifice is that in the ancient world, even broadly, even outside of Israel, temple and sacrifice, these were ways of communing with God or the gods, right? So temples would often be on mountains, on high places, right? This, the, the thought was, these are, this is where the gods are, right? Sacrifice was a way of participating in this reality, this like God-like reality that the people couldn't control, so it was a way of kind of taking a little bit of control back, right? So like if you're sacrificing to um, um, Baal in the ancient, in, during the time of ancient Israel, right? If you're sacrificing him, he's like the god of fertility and you want good crops. So you're going to take control of this really chaotic weather, like the weather and, and all these things that are really difficult and, and you really don't have control. You're going to take a little bit of control by making sacrifices to Baal so that may be Maybe if he's feeling good about your sacrifices and, it, and it's tasty to him, he'll, you know, he'll help your crops out. You know what I'm saying? So, different but similar, Israel has this sacrificial system. And it's a way of being in the presence of God. It's a system that allows unholy people... Not only morally unholy people, but just in the everyday minutia of life, unholy people unclean They're, God is so completely other and holy and perfect that normal people can't just be in his presence. And so the sacrifice and the temple is a way of God being with his people and his people being with God. So what does it mean for Peter to say in Christ you are the spiritual house. You are the temple. In Christ, built on this cornerstone, built on this foundation, you're the temple. That means we as a community of believers. Now, this is not talking to individuals, but as a community of, 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 of believers through Christ, we house the presence of God. Now, the presence of God is not housed in a program not in a song, not in a style, not in a building. The presence of God is in the people. Amen. Through Christ, we are the temple. Yes. This, is why, this is why it matters that we don't slander each other. That we don't gossip about one another. that we don't, That we're not cruel to one another. Because we have the presence of God together. We have a new identity. Doing good works is not just a list of uh, things you check off after you get saved. Because I don't know, I guess God's good, so he deserves it. No, it's a part of being in this new identity. It's a part of being formed as the people of God, being the temple with the presence of God dwelling among us. It matters what you do because God is with us. Hallelujah. It mat- we have to be a holy people Because God is holy, going back to chapter 1, right? But what about spiritual sacrifices? Because I don't know about you, but for me, this is the one that I assume I know what it means. And because I assume I know what it means, I don't think I know what it means. Does that make sense? Because here's the deal. Sacrifice is really foreign to us. The sacrificial, we are removed by the sacrificial system by thousands of years, number one. And then culturally, sacrifice is viewed as this like really like old and outdated mode of worship. And it's kind of violent and kind of gross. And, you know, it was bound and determined to be replaced by something more spiritual and better. Right. So we don't need to understand that or talk about that. We'll just kind of put that out of our minds. And, and you know what I mean? So we don't understand sacrifice. We have a. In fact, we have a really big bias against sacrifice, as if it's it's a bad thing. But what Peter's talking about has to be understood in light of sacrifice. It has to be understood in in, in light of what sacrifice truly is about and what sacrifice truly means. Again, sacrifice is is a way for people to be connected to God. It's a ritual. It's something where their theology and their belief is embodied and practiced. We don't understand that. And that's hard to wrap our minds around, especially in our context where what we do in church has little to do or oftentimes has little connection to what we believe. Right. But what sacrifice is, is it's embodied belief. It's theology that's practiced. We need to practice our theology. We say God is great. We need to live like God is great. Amen. When, we, when we partake in the Lord's Supper, when we partake in communion, we need to embody our theology and understand what that means about Christ and what he did on the cross. Yes. Spiritual sacrifices are connected to Old Testament sacrifice, but they are different then, right? They're different then, because obviously we aren't going to sacrifice a new, uh, you know, a young calf or whatever. We're not doing that anymore. And we don't have to because of what Jesus did. He is the ultimate sacrifice. But spiritual sacrifices are important. And it's important that we understand that they're more than just, again, invisible stuff going on above our heads. One commentator suggested that we should probably see spiritual sacrifices as ideal behaviors of the church. Um, Ideal behaviors like we see in 1 Peter chapter 4, 7 through 11. Prayer. Prayer. Talking to God. Again, communing with God. If God's presence is among us, we can talk to Him. We can be in His presence. That's amazing. Love. Loving one another. And not just like some ushy-gushy feeling, but sacrificial love like Christ. Hospitality. Peter talks about hospitality in chapter 4. This is something that we're kind of losing touch with in our culture, being hospitable to strangers and to people, right, and to to people in our community, hospitality. Um, And service. Service is so important. And you know what? Service, I think this church in particular, I think gets service right. A lot, and is really good at serving one another, um, but we need to we need to be do better. We need to be um, have true servants' hearts, where we do things for one another sacrificially. Right? We need to be in God's presence. It's interesting here. He calls the, the believers. Peter says that they're holy priests. Priests were a, a, a part of this system, a part of the temple, a part of sacrifice. they were mediators of that presence now it, it's really fascinating that elsewhere, and here really you get this too, but like in Hebrews, um, Jesus is is depicted as the ultimate high high priest, and not only is he a high priest but he 's a royal priest, which we're, you know, we'll come to here in a second. Um, you know that I don't know if you remember in Hebrews, but that whole like argument about the line of Melchizedek—it's um, about Jesus being a king and a priest. And Jesus is a priest, so he's the ultimate mediator of God's presence. But what's fascinating is that Peter says, "Hey, you're connected to that cornerstone. Yeah. You're like living stones because you're connected to the living stone, and so we are royal. We're holy priests. What does that mean? It means." We're mediators of God's presence, yes. which again, we're going to come back to that. But it also means that we're holy. It says we're holy. Holy is about being set apart yes, amen. for God's purpose, right? Amen. Yes. But we are both holy priests and the temple of God. And this is so important to our understanding of God's presence and our understanding of our identity as the church, as a body of believers. Why does it matter that we gather together, that we meet? Because we house the presence of God together, right? We're the temple and we're holy priests and we're set apart for God's purpose. And Peter is going to go into that purpose in a little bit more detail while also describing our identity in more detail. This is what he says in verse 9. Mercy. I love that mercy is connected to being included in the people of God. Again, it's like he's saying, once you had no identity, now you have an identity. Once you were lost, but now you're a part of God's people. Once you were in a town in Pennsylvania and you didn't know who you are, but now you have a family and you have an identity, right? But Peter explains that Christians declare the virtues of God. Christians declare the virtues of God. Um, So Christian identity um, is further explained by Peter with these four phrases. Chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A holy nation. God's special possession. So... What is chosen people refers to the nation of Israel. This is how Deuteronomy and and the Pentateuch talks about God's people. They're his chosen people. And he chose them not because they were great, not because they were mighty, but because he's faithful to their fathers, to Abraham. He's faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his promises. And so they were a chosen people. Now Peter takes this title and he gives it to the Christians, both Gentile and Jew alike, in Asia Minor, and he says, you're a chosen people. People of different ethnicities, people of different backgrounds, people from different socioeconomic statuses. He he says, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. Again, this idea of priesthood comes back, but now he says, instead of holy, he says, a royal priesthood. Now, royal is, again, something very foreign to us. We, We don't have a monarch. We don't have royalty. And the royalty in England is, you know, not the same, not the same thing, right? Like, it's not really, they're not really royalty. I mean, I guess they are, but you know what I'm saying. I don't know. They're just like celebrities. I don't understand it. Yeah. Anyways, but the idea of royal is foreign to us. That we would be connected to the king, to the kingship of God. Hallelujah. That is powerful. Amen. Thank you, God. That is powerful. And how are we connected to the kingship of God through Jesus's kingship? Amen. G- going back to chapter one, he says, your new birth. Peter talks about their salvation in terms of this new birth, this new life, the, a, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the New Testament is clear that the resurrection of Jesus is Jesus's enthronement. Yeah. Jesus. Is king. Jesus is king. He has complete and total authority. Again, king is not like a president. We don't vote Jesus in. He is the king. He, we owe him our allegiance. Amen. And we're his royal priesthood. Again, mediators of God's presence, um, the royal, kingly presence of Jesus, right? We're a holy nation. Again, going back to Israel, God's special possession. And from this identity, this idea of a set apart chosen special people, this separate people that are, are, are have a purpose, that have an identity, that have a reason for being together for living, out of this identity flows their mission. Peter says, "Declare The praises of God. Declare the praises of God. Again, this is much like Israel. Israel was God's chosen people set apart, but for a purpose. So that all the nations, all the families of the world would someday be blessed. This is the promise in Genesis 12. Right? So... They were, yes, a chosen, set-apart, holy nation. They were a separate people, but they were a separate people for the purpose of showing God's presence, of mediating God's presence to the world. Yeah, amen. This was a part of their identity. This was a part of their mission. And Peter says, in Christ, now it's a part of yours. Mm-hmm. To be a representative of God in your world, in your life, in your family at your work, in the grocery store, to be a representative of God, Hallelujah. a mediator of God's presence, an extension of his holiness into this broken and dark world. Yeah, amen. My dad used to drop us off at school, and almost every day, I think it had to have been, every day he dropped us off, he would say, you might be the only Jesus someone sees today. And that was a powerful statement, and it has always stuck with me, and it will always st- stick with me, and it's true. Yes. As God's representatives, there are times that we may be the only piece of God, the only experience with God's presence that people will ever encounter. Mm-hmm. Yet we want to walk around angry, angry, we want to walk around with a chip on our shoulder like the world owes us something. We want to, I mean, even let's get practical. We want to act like you're not getting a tip if you don't impress me with your service. Like, I mean, I know that seems, seems trivial, but come on, we're Christians and we, we're, the, we're, the, we're the representatives of God and we're going to act like that. You know, I I was talking with Stephen the other night, and we were kind of talking about this idea a little bit about being a representative of God. And I was telling him, I was like, hey, you know what? You know what you really wouldn't like? You wouldn't like if you told me, hey, tell Pastor Sid he's awesome and I love him. He's a great pastor. You wouldn't you wouldn't be very happy if I went to Pastor Sid and say, hey, Pastor Sid, Stephen told me that he thinks you're kind of a loser. And he just doesn't like you very much. And then Pastor Sid went to Stephen and he said, Stephen, what's up, man? Why, why are you saying this? And Stephen would say, I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. Stephen would be mad at me. Mm-hmm. Of course, Stephen would never say that, but he would be mad at me yeah. for misrepresenting him. If we are called to be a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood, a a chosen people, representatives of God in the world, and we go out and we misrepresent God, wow, help us. Help us. And, And we have to be honest here. We've done a bad job at this in a lot of ways. In other ways, the church has done a great job at this. And other ways the church has done a bad job at this. And we need to be a part of positive change to do a better job at representing God to the world. Amen. Amen, amen. We're not meant to be a holy, set apart nation to only look inwardly and to never think about what we're saying to the world. We're called to be a holy, set apart people so that we can be a witness to the world, so that we can declare. God's praise to the world, his presence to other people. And this is where Peter's going to go. He's going to talk about relationships. He's going to talk about marriages in this time and in this world where the husbands, who in this time, they're the patriarch, their religion is the household religion. Yet there's women who are Christians married to non-Christian husbands. And Peter's going to say, serve them, love them, be good until they see Christ in you. So that they might be won over. He's going, to say, he's going to say to um, people, husbands, wives, children, slaves even, respect authority yes. so that they might see the glory of God. Yes. Yes. He's going to say, re- represent God well in the world so that people could be won over. Yes. Amen. This happens through our actions, yes, but also through our words. We have to be bold speaking for Christ, but, but accurately representing Him. Which, by the way, if you're going to accurately represent God, you need to know his word. Amen. Oftentimes we spot off, you know, taglines, bumper stickers that we get from the Bible. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, I'll take that. But we don't know what it means. We don't know what it's about. It's not changed us or formed us in any way. We haven't wrestled with it. We haven't asked, it, asked hard questions with, with it. But we're ready to throw it up on Facebook or we're ready to do whatever with it. And you know, we got to know God's word. If we're going to represent him accurately in the world, we need to know his word. Amen. Uh, I, you know, it doesn't say this in the text, so I'm, I want mean, to you know, be careful, but I don't think God likes being misrepresented. I think that's why he says, be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. We need to represent him well. So as I was reading, as we're wrapping up, Sandra, would you come and play? As I was reading, um, one commentator pointed out two themes that he saw in this passage. Um, And both, I think, are very much intertwined with the idea of Christian identity. He noticed the idea of spiritual formation and the, the theme of evangelism. And I think that this is really, really important for us as God's people to understand we have to be built up. We have to grow. We have to understand who we are in Christ accepting the living stone and being a part of the temple, being a part of His holy priesthood, His holy nation. We have to understand this and be changed and formed by this so that we can turn around and bring that good news of new creation, of new life, of salvation to the world. This, I think our identity and our purpose is innately evangelistic. We have to be bringing Christ to the world, to people around us, people we rub shoulders with, people, and it's hard, we disagree with. People who might not like us. There's not too many people that I don't like, or types of people, or there's not too many people that I don't like, but I will not talk to people I think won't like me. You know what I mean? But even people I think won't like me need the gospel. Even they need salvation. Now, you know, I can't not talk to someone because I think they're going to, you know, be rude to me or whatever. That's not evangelism. But here's the other, the other side of this coin again is that if we say, yes, 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 evangelism, 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 let's grow the church, we're missing what, he, what he's saying here in terms of growth. He says grow in your salvation, not grow numerically. He says build yourselves. He says know the word. He says, he says grow and, 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 and desire this, this um, spiritual sustenance so that you can really be an effective tool of God. You can really be a part of God's people in the way that you're, that you're called to be. We don't want to get it backwards where it's just about like getting people, getting, you know, hind backsides and seats, right? It's about growing in Christ so that others can come along with us. It's about spiritual sacrifices, participating in what God is doing. Loving our neighbor, even when we're mad, right? not slandering, not doing these, these social things that he talked about at the beginning. Let's pray. Will you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to be formed by our identity. Help us to be formed by our salvation in such a way that we crave, we desire spiritual growth. God, help us to understand who we are as your people and how we are connected to your presence through Jesus Christ. God, help us to understand that we are called to declare your virtues to the world. We're called to be um, mediators, carriers of your presence and your values to the world. And we can't misrepresent you. God, help us to,
1: to be your people. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, once again, Lord. As we go into the world, God, Lord, may we always be conscious that we bear the name of Christ. Lord, that I'll do everything within my power, yes. Trust in you, Lord, to change people's lives, God. But The way I live my life and the way I represent Christ, I pray that I will be that representation of God your proper representation Lord. yes Lord and then we trust your Holy Spirit will just change people's lives God. God I thank you God once again Lord for your word of God that we will always God have this greater desire a greater desire for the truth. A greater desire for you, Lord. A greater desire for your word, God. A greater desire for your presence, God. Even together as a, as a church, Lord. That we will seek you, Lord, with all our hearts, Lord. And that you will be that, that pearl of great price, God. That you just give up everything to just go looking for that, Lord. And when we find that, God, that's it. Yes, Lord, I pray, God, that you work in our hearts as individuals, Lord. Work in our hearts as a church, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we go out into the world, God, that Christ will be evident, Lord. Christ will be evident in everything we say and everything we do, God, Lord. And I pray, Lord, once again, God, that your spirit will be with us, Lord. Your Holy Spirit will quicken our hearts, quicken our minds, and quicken our thoughts, Lord. That as we speak, Lord, we will speak life into the people around us God yes God whether they like us or they don't like us whether they believe in God or don't believe in God Lord we pray God that as we speak Lord we will be conscious and guided by Holy Spirit Lord Lord and I pray again God once again God that all this flows God from our desire for the word Lord as we study your word God I pray you reveal yourself to us more Lord we thank you Father once again Thank you, Father, once again. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Prayer, pray, God, your blessing, God, upon each and every one of us as we go from here today, Lord. I pray, God, that lives we encounter this coming week, God, Lord, that seeds will be planted, God. doesn't matter what, God, that seeds will be planted, God. That lives, God, will be turned to you through the way we behave. Thank you, Father, once again. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah, hey amen, I was just uh, just reminded of a sermon that I heard this past week too, He's talking about, we all look for revelations of God and he's revealed himself through his word and that is the best revelation, so, you know, keep seeking God's word if you want a revelation from God, amen, amen, God bless you guys. See you Tuesdays at seven thirty, Brother Dan. And on Wednesdays we have uh, Tuesdays we have prayer here at seven thirty. Wednesday we have our uh, service at seven PM. God bless you.